Howdy, everyone. Welcome to Dangerous Thoughts on a Safe Space. I'm Carter Laren, and that was Beverly's new countdown video, which apparently is not sized properly for the screen. Um, sorry for the delay, everyone. Thank you guys for 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 showing up today. Um, I was going to be speaking with special guest Sal the Agorist today, but he hasn't shown up, um, which is unusual. I know Sal; he's a good guy, so I hope he's okay. Um, but maybe he'll pop in. Um, if he doesn't pop in, we'll talk about agorism, but I'm not an expert, so we'll talk about it together. And if you guys have anything particular you want to chat about, even if it's not agorism, I guess today is going to be a good day for you to just throw stuff in chat, and uh, I will wing it on the application of philosophy. Uh, I usually like to prep, so give me some, cut me some slack today because I'm not, I'm not prepped for a solo show. Okay. Uh, but before we kind of continue in and uh, and talk about any stuff, if you get any value out of these shows generally, any kind of show on unsafe space, uh, please take a moment to go hit the subscribe button. It costs you nothing. It does help us uh, share the stuff with a friend, find an episode of Dangerous Thoughts or another unsafe space series that you like, and share it with someone. Um, you can go to unsafespace.com to support the channel. Uh, you can use Bitcoin or Ethereum if you so desire. Uh, plus, if you have a bunch of worthless fiat currency, we'll take that too. On uh, just $5 a month, we'll get your name in the credits. And the rewards get even more exciting after that, if you can believe it. Uh, and to those of you who already support Unsafe Space and all that we do and all the shows here, thank you so much. It really does matter to us. Um, I know it seems like uh, it doesn't take any effort to do some stuff sometimes, but it, it does take a lot of effort to do all this stuff and put it out. And we've got several shows and people do like to eat and pay mortgages. So... Um, it does mean a lot, uh, that support you guys give. So, uh, as many of you know, Dangerous Thoughts is usually broadcast live, usually live every Wednesday evening. And the primary purpose of this series is to defend, uh, preserve, promote, um, the crucial life affirming ideas that are responsible for the success of Western civilization. And by that, I mean the epistemology of reason and the ethics of individualism. And often that means I'm just here on camera discussing things like uh, how to apply rational philosophy to current events. But sometimes I interview people. Today was going to be one of those days where I bring uh, I bring someone on. Or as, as our friend Kamala Harris would say. It is time for us to do what we have been doing, and that time is every day. Every day it is time for us to agree. Sorry, I had, I had to play that. I just like it so much. I know it's old. Um, so anyway, people in the unsafe space community have been asking about building alternate communities in real life. Um, and there's lots of talk about alternate communities, uh, alternate solutions for tech online, um, Gab, Getter, Parlor, Minds, all that kind of stuff, Truth Social. Um, but the important stuff in life happens offline, uh, at least it should. Uh, so a lot of people have asked, Hey, how do we start building communities offline? What do we do? Um, what do we actually do to build? I, I don't know if I should call it a counterculture or whatever. Now I'm not an expert here. Um, but, uh, you know, you guys want me to go figure stuff out. So usually that's what I do. My plan today was to, uh, you know, look, there's there's lots of aspects of, of a counterculture, of a, 
of uh, an alternate culture, um, everything from education to entertainment to whatever. But one of the most important is off-grid economics, or or maybe you would call it counter-economics or whatever. Um, so the plan today was to kick off our explanation of or exploration of alternative communities with uh, with a discussion of agorism by and by speaking to someone who who can help explain what agorism is and um, maybe talk about the economic side. But as I mentioned, Sal is not here. If he shows up, I will ask him questions. Um, but uh, in the meantime, I guess we'll just have to wade through this. Um, so I apologize for the lack of prep, but let's just start with some basic stuff. Let's start with what agorism, or I hear people pronounce it agorism, what it is. Um, and, uh, it's, you hear it mixed up with this concept of counter-economics quite a lot. Um, my, and at this point, by the way, I'm speaking with no notes, so I'm, I, Sorry if I'm not going to be as articulate as normal. My understanding of agorism is if you take the totality of uh, human action and human interaction in the society and you subtract you subtract out that which the state regulates or is involved in um, and you subtract out that which is prohibited um, philosophically through the initiation of use of force, like theft, what you have left over is agorism. Which I know this sounds like a weird negative definition, but that's my kind of understanding of, of agorism. And what that means is, well, often this is tied, it's is intertwined um, pretty deeply with something called counter-economics. And I think I think counter-economics is often described as like gray markets or black markets or whatever, but I think agorist activity generally is anything that's um, not allowed, right? Uh, and that might be paying the kid next door to mow your lawn, but not paying like whatever employment taxes and whatever else need to like happen there. That's a form of agorism. Um, trading with someone and not like I think technically when you exchange goods you're technically supposed to pay sales tax you're supposed to calculate the values and blah 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 like doing that is a form of agorism so these are all things that would probably fall under the category of gray market stuff and then and then there's obvious black market stuff uh so <laughs> Adam says Sal is on a troika being transported to Siberia yeah Poor Sal. Someday, if he's not careful, he's going to find himself doing that. Maybe he's not here because he's been practicing too much agorism. Uh, or I think he pronounces it agorism, but I hear I hear both both ways. I am, by the way, I am paying attention to chat in particular today. Uh, so if you have stuff you want to talk about or comments, let me know. Anyway, let's go into counter-economics. I, I printed out this little pamphlet. I don't know if you can see it. It says, counter-economics what it is, and how it works. Um, and this, so I guess the guy who invented this is a guy named Sam Konkin. Um, he was like a libertarian-esque thinker. Um, I, I think agorists get accused of being left libertarian. In fact, the back of this pamphlet says, movement of libertarian left. Um, 
But my understanding is the reason for that is um, Sam Conkin said he was more left than Rothbard, Murray Rothbard. But he said that after Murray Rothbard had kind of aligned with the right. So I, there's not a lot of stuff that's really leftist in here. Although I guess if you're a cultural conservative, cultural conservative, conservative, you might think some of this is lefty. But let me just read some. I'll read some bits of this, and this will kick off our discussion, I guess. The counter economy. So, what is counter economics? The counter economy is the sum of all. Oh, this is kind of what I was saying before. The sum of all non-aggressive human action, which is forbidden by the state. That's much more succinct than my de definition. Counter economics is the study of the counter economy and its practices. The counter economy includes the free market, the black market, the underground economy, the acts of civil and social disobedience, all acts of forbidden association sexual, racial, cross-religious, and anything else the state at any place or time chooses to prohibit, control, regulate, tax, or tariff. The counter-economy excludes all state-approved action, the white market, and the red market, violence and theft not approved by the state. A counter-economist is either a student of counter-economics or, most often, a practitioner. To some extent, all of us are counter-economic. It is impossible to obey all government laws and edicts. Many are contradictory and be alive. And then it says it's also forbidden to die without state permission. I assume they mean suicide here. Anyway, I won't read the whole thing, but they go on to um, they go on to list some other things that counteract that count as counter economic activity. And I don't know when this was printed, but oddly enough, one of the things on the list is trucker convoys. So maybe this was printed quite recently or updated recently. Um, but uh, gold bugs, food hoarders, because it's illegal to uh, not report stuff a lot, a lot of that. Um, people who own weapons that are prohibited by the state. Uh, let's see, health nuts, i.e. those who produce or market nourishment unapproved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Um, some stuff that, you know, a lot of people would say should be bad, like, uh, or sh they, you know, they don't like like pornographers, prostitutes, um, and other, it's called some sexual entrepreneurs, <laughs> um, a smuggler of Bibles to Saudi Arabia or drugs to New York. Um, anyone who's ever smoked a joint, even if he regretted it as one running for office. Anyone who has ever committed any, uh, oops, sorry. Anyone who's ever, oh, these are all blue laws now. And then, but they list a bunch of blue laws. If you violate them, I guess you're an agorist in that sense. Bartenders who fail to report transactions. The idea here, it seems to be, uh, I, I guess there's a few ideas. One of these is kind of practical with agorism, and the other is kind of philosophical. Um. My philosophical understanding here is that um, the end goal of an agorist is maybe similar to that of a uh, someone who would call themselves an anarcho-capitalist or just a you know uh, voluntarist, um, but. The agorist, I, th I think, is particularly interested in entrepreneurial activity um, because 
and not for the sake of profit necessarily, although I don't, the agorists are, you know, obviously for profit, they like for profit. Um, but there's a kind of subversive and political goal with being an entrepreneur as an agorist, agorist because you are, you have power to, you have more control economically to operate outside the system. Um, and so I think, you know, that's kind of my high level understanding. Let's, let's go into some concerns that I have with advocating this, um, stuff that I probably was hoping to talk to Sal about. Um, so one is my understanding is I, I would, my understanding would be that, um, minimizing your tax contribution is, would be one of the goals of agorism because agorism is like intentionally politically disruptive. It's not just we want to operate outside the system and, and, you know, please leave us alone state. It's, it's like, we don't, we want to not be funding the state. We want to be doing things against the funding of the state to try and weaken the state. Now, obviously there's ways you can lighten your tax burden legally, uh, without, without risk of jail time. Right. So, um, if you're a two income household and you pay a, uh, daycare center for your, to, to watch your children, um, if you run the math on how much that costs you, uh, after taxes, and then, uh, I don't think you can deduct a daycare, uh, but if you run the math on how much that costs you and how much you spend going to and from work and, and you, you might determine that actually if one of you quits your jobs and, and watches the children, um, you might not lose as much money as you think, and you would greatly reduce your tax burden. You, you might in fact have a a more fulfilling and happy life and get to spend some time and raise your own children instead of leaving them to a third party. So in, in my understanding, that would be a small step that you would take towards agorism. Well, I would say a, a low risk step in terms of you're not going to, no one's going to throw you in jail for not working, right? They're not, you know, the IRS isn't going to be like, well, Hey, you were paying us taxes, but now you're not working. So, uh, to jail with you. Um, so so that's like a, a safe way to do agorism. And then I think there's the gray market stuff, uh, the, the paying your neighbor's kid to mow the lawn under the table. Obviously, that uh, the risk of jail time with some of that stuff is pretty low. Um, you know, so uh, so I guess you could do that. You, I, I guess if you start building a community of like-minded individuals, you can do trade. You can trade stuff back and forth with each other, and that's not... Um, you know, technically you might be in the gray market there or, or, you know, owing taxes, but if you're not paying them, you're unlikely to get caught or in trouble. Um, I think where, from what I can tell where people get in the most trouble is, um, so here's the problem I have with agorism from a practical perspective, because morally, I'm, I mean, sure, of course it's fine, but from a practical perspective, one of my concerns with it is um, in order to really have the anywhere resembling the lifestyle that we have now, like if you're a normal person who who works and, you know, has a mortgage and, and you know, watches Netflix or whatever, like has computers and pays the internet and, and is, you know, does normal things, has a car and drives. Um, if you're if you're a normal person like that, it's very difficult. You can't replicate that lifestyle um, at all through barter, 
Like that's not possible. Um, you need you need a medium of exchange. Um, and even if you have a medium of exchange like dollars, or let's say you use Ethereum or Bitcoin or something like that, um, you need a marketplace. You need a place where you can exchange. Like if if I said, you know, if you had to go out and and talk to the people you know and figure out who has, uh, you know, gala apples. Let's say you like gala apples, or you know. If you had, if if there wasn't a supermarket and you had to just go find the apples, that would be very, it would be very difficult. Your life would be significantly reduced. Your life, uh, your quality of your life would be significantly reduced. So marketplaces are super, super important. People like often deride the middleman and saying, oh, you don't do anything. You're just, you know, you're just gathering a bunch of stuff together in one place and reselling it and marking it up. You leech. But that's not true at all. Uh, marketplaces are the reason you have a st higher standard of living. Middlemen are super, super important. I mean, obviously, sometimes they can gouge you. And, and sometimes there's like three middlemen and some of them are useless. But uh, in general, you you need you need marketplaces. And what I've seen in, uh, you know, in, ag in agorist circles is that's where the feds go. They go after the marketplaces, and those are the people that get in the most trouble. So let's take a look at um, let's take a look at Silk Road as an example. Does everyone know? I assume you guys know what Silk Road was, but maybe I'll explain. Uh, this was maybe ten years ago, a little while ago. Silk Road. Um, it was part of the dark web, um, which the dark web is basically just the web, but um, you access it a different way. The DNS doesn't work. Like it's it's uh, which is domain name server stuff. It's harder to access, uh, and I haven't been on the dark web in, uh, I mean, probably since Silk Road was on the dark web. Um, and I was on Silk Road. I didn't buy anything, but like it was one of those curiosities. Like, oh, what is this? What's going on? So Silk Road was um, a marketplace. It was kind of like eBay for the dark web, and people could buy and sell things on the dark web. And and it was set up so that it was using, uh, it was trying to anonymize payments uh, using crypto, and it was set up specifically to be an anonymous marketplace, and um, and it was full of drugs. I mean, it was just full of drugs. It was all. I mean, it wasn't all drugs. But it was a lot of drugs. <laughs> um, it was it was a lot of drugs, and a lot of people bought and sold drugs um, right on Silk Road, and uh, it's like fascinating to see. Right, um, I was too straight edged, I guess, to take advantage of it, but um, it was fascinating to see. And the feds got the feds didn't like this clearly. Um, and in the name of the war on drugs, you had, I think it was the FBI who primarily infiltrated and and um, became a party to several transactions uh, on Silk Road and tried to figure their way out, like figure out what was going on. And, and I don't know, maybe they probably went after some of the drug dealers. I'm sure they did. But um, guess who they went after the most? The dude who ran Silk Road, the guy who set it up, he wasn't selling drugs. He he wasn't doing any of that stuff. All he was doing was making a marketplace 
that's who they went after. And um, again, like I said, marketplace is necessary. Um, you need a marketplace. And all he did was make a marketplace that allowed this kind of stuff. And um, and his name was Ross Albright, who you may have heard of. I'll just read this from an article about Ross. <clears throat> Albright was 31 when he was... Uh, 31 with you. This is from, this is an, actually an article. This is from the U.S. Immigrations and Customs Enforcement. This is a uh, press release from the federal government. Albright created Silk Road on January 2011 and owned and operated the underground website until it was shut down by law enforcement authorities in October 2013. So think about that. It's like, let's see, January 2011. So it's almost three years. So like, not quite three years. Silk Road emerged as the most sophisticated and extensive criminal marketplace on the internet, serving as a sprawling black market bazaar or unlawful goods and services, including illegal drugs of all varieties were bought and sold regularly by the site's users. Um, blah, blah, blah. Albright deliberately operated Silk Road as an online criminal marketplace. They talk about how he deliberately used the Onion Router and Tor network to evade detection and Bitcoin-based Bitcoin payment system. The vast majority of items for sale on Silk Road were illegal drugs, which were openly advertised on the site. As of September 23rd, 2013, the Silk Road homepage displayed nearly 13,000 listings for controlled substances listed under each category as cannabis, disassociatives, ecstasy, intoxicants, opioids, precursors, and we know what that is, prescription, psychedelics, and stimulants. Um, by the way, his online moniker was Dread Pirate Roberts. I always, I always liked that. Uh, before we knew his name, he was, he was known as Dread Pirate Roberts. Through his ownership and operation of Silk Road, Albright reaped commissions worth more than $13 million generated from the illicit sales conducted through the site. Albright, 31 of San Francisco. So he was accused of soliciting murder for hire, but I don't think that stuck. And who knows? I don't trust the federal government uh, or feds or any of these charges. Like, I don't trust half the charges. Albright, 31 of San Francisco, California, was convicted of the following seven offenses after a four-week jury trial. Distributing narcotics, distributing narcotics by means of internet conspiracy, or sorry, conspiring to distribute narcotics. <laughs> Thanks for the three law violations for one thing. Engaging in a continuing criminal enterprise, conspiring to commit computer hacking, conspiring to traffic in false identity documents, and conspiring to commit money laundering. In addition to the life sentence prison term, life, let's repeat that, life sentence. 31-year-old guy, in addition to the life sentence prison term, Albright was ordered to forfeit $183 million. Now, they said he made $13 million. I don't know how you forfeit an order of magnitude more than you made. Two orders of magnitude more? I'm sorry, one order of magnitude? But I don't know. Uh, in imposing the sentence, Judge Forrest said... There must be no doubt that lawlessness will not be tolerated. There must be no doubt 
that no one is above the law, no matter one's education or privileges, all stand equal before the law. There must be no doubt that you cannot run a massive criminal enterprise and because it occurred over the internet, minimize the crime committed on that basis. So, uh, Ross got screwed. <laughs> so my concern with, with agorism is, um, okay, we can do safe things like minimize our tax burden. Um, maybe we can even do uh, iffy things, theoretically, like pay people under the table or whatever. But for day-to-day -day operations, you need a marketplace. To, if you actually want to have the um, standard of living or anything close to your standard of living that you have now, you need marketplaces to pop up. And I guess maybe selling illegal drugs on the marketplace is the dumb way to start because it, it means that they're going to use drug laws against you. But I imagine if he had been selling fruits and vegetables or, you know, diapers or anything else uh, and and in allowing people to do it anonymously and to evade uh, sales tax and everything else, they would probably also come after him. Um, so... <laughs> Yeah, so that's my concern with something like so the guy got a life sentence, right? How many how many people who sold cocaine or whatever was for sale on on that site? How many of those people got life sentences, right? Ross got the life sentence. A 31-year-old dude got a life sentence for running a website. Uh which, you know, granted, broke laws, I guess, but um and and you know, none of the charges I listed, if you'll notice, they weren't he didn't I know there's there's allegations that he hired uh he tried to hire uh hitman or something like I've heard that rumor floating around it was in this thing I just read but he wasn't convicted of that so money laundering conspiring to commit money laundering conspiring to traffic in false identities conspiring to commit hacking it's like it's all okay well a bunch of conspiring stuff and the other thing that I think is 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 difficult about agorism is it it seems to rely on a lot of under the radar activity and we are in an increasing surveillance state right now. We've saw what they did to the, the freedom convoy. We saw uh, they freeze the assets of, of people who maybe even gave money to the freedom convoy. Um, we see it, we see what they're doing to um, Russian oligarchs. Now you can hate Russian oligarchs all you want, but many of these Russian oligarchs are not, really clearly guilty of anything some of them have even said they don't like the war in ukraine but they're being their assets are being seized uh and it's being bragged about um so you clearly have a, a government with that's that's not only has the capability of shutting you out of uh your give access to your your economics but it's also willing to do so for political reasons so um and you so that you have the increased surveillance and control, which I think makes it even more difficult to operate unless you're using uh, alternative currency, which we can talk about. Um, and you're also seeing more and more honeypots. You're seeing more and more FBI honeypots. Um, the kidnapping of Governor Whitmer is an Whitmer uh, is, is an example. I think something like roughly fifty percent of the people or something involved were FBI agents, right? So um, I think I think the risk here with with Agorism really being able to be anything more than a if if it's a small subculture that can be ignored and it's a few people doing some things I don't think uh, I don't think government's going to come after or you know maybe they can get away with it um, but 
if everyone starts to do it, if it really rises up to be a thing, if you end up with a silk road, but not illegal substances, but still a silk road, which you would need to do this, uh, I don't see how that doesn't get taken out by the feds. Um, am I wrong? And do people, do, do people, am I being too pessimistic about that? Let me know in chat. Um, uh, someone in chat says, I'm not sure, but almost any kind of transaction can be interpreted as a business under certain conditions, but those are gray areas. Yeah. And also everything is trafficking. Like if you, if you hand someone anything, like it's, everything is trafficking. Trafficking is like, it's the, <laughs> it's, it covers all manner of interaction, any kind of interaction though, will classify as trafficking, which sounds scary and bad, but, um, you know. It's just trafficking or they, they, you know, it's just exchanging stuff. Now, according to my notes here, there are two major strategies to agorism. Two basic strategies. Um, one is vertical or introverted agorism. Whatever that is, I'm, I'm already attracted to it because it's introverted. Um, and the other is horizontal or extroverted agorism. Uh, and let's just look up, we'll look up what these are. Um, let's see. Vertical. Vertical, or, this is just Wikipedia, guys. Uh, vertical or introverted strategy is aimed towards individuals concentrating on decentralized local infrastructure as opposed to expansive state foundations, as explained thusly. What this means in real terms is to create local or neighborhood networks of self-reliance where people in the vicinity get together to find ways to produce whatever is necessary for survival and a good life. It means creating local production facilities and markets with no effective state regulations and without the state's knowledge. Again, I like that sounds great. I like that idea. Can you imagine an unsafe space community where we are all somehow... Um, co-located um and doing stuff that's that's great uh but realistically when your iphone breaks or your phone breaks or some electronic piece of equipment breaks uh what you need access to is rare earth material being mined in china refined there shipped to a fab probably in taiwan Packaged up by, you know, uh, whoever's doing the assembly could be in another country. Maybe it, maybe that's in the U.S. if you're lucky. Um, you can't have a town, your small town, even your big town. You can't have that. You can't have a city that's like, yep, we do that too. Um, you can't have a city that does all that. Uh, so we're looking at a severe restriction on uh, standard of living, even, even in this case here, in my opinion, the other strategy here is what they call it horizontal or extroverted. By the way, this wasn't meant to be a rag on agorism, uh, show. Uh, I was just going to challenge Sal and hopefully he has good answers to some of these. Um, the horizontal approach, the horizontal or extroverted strategy applies to individuals actively creating black market networks and structures, which can be stretched beyond neighborhood communities. Uh, focused in the vertical strategy. 
So this sounds like Ross Albright kind of stuff. It sounds like Silk Road. What it basically proposes is to trade with people you know and people who are recommended to you. This can all be done at whatever scale one finds appropriate using available technologies such as the internet. Ooh, the internet. Um, well, here, this some of this makes sense. A first step could be to hire the children next door to mow the lawn or babysit. It does not have to be very sophisticated at first. This approach could come naturally to libertarians since it simply means exercising trade without bothering with the state regulations or paying taxes. Most people are willing to exchange goods and services without registering the sales tax, which is a good start. Some of them will also find it in their interest to do this on a larger scale, producing and distributing goods and services without ever paying taxes or following unnecessary government regulations and controls. And most people really don't care about government standards if they trust their supplier. So, so I guess those are the strategies for uh, agorism. Um, there's clearly a political goal here. The only solution, so I, 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 in prep for the show and in prep to talk about this with Sal, I was thinking like, okay, what are, are there any technologies that can solve the Ross Ulbricht problem? If you need a marketplace, by the way, I'm just spitballing now, guys. If you want a marketplace, um, how can you get around the Ross Albright problem? And the only thing I could come up with so far is um, creating a, a decentralized autonomous organization on the blockchain. Um, I think you could do. I think you could do something like that. I think you could do. I think you could build a company on the blockchain uh, if you do it right, which is not managed by anyone in particular, maybe managed by some of the token holders who have governance tokens, um, but done so electronically and anonymously. And so there's no one to go after necessarily. I'm not sure what the feds would do in that case. Maybe they would just, they would find another way to go after them or try and go after them uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe they would go after the individuals more and try and try and do that. Um, but it, it, that might solve the Ross Albright problem, uh, where you've got one guy creating a marketplace, but I'm not totally sure. Um, vibrant goo in chat says, that's what I don't get about this whole self-sufficient thing. I don't want to be a farmer. Yeah. I don't want to be a farmer either. Vibrant goo. Um, I would be a horrible farmer. I've tried to grow houseplants and failed miserably. So um, I get the self-sufficient thing in some sense in that it's good to be able to be as self-sufficient as possible in many areas. But, you know, th the truth is if you move to the woods and you have a cabin and you raise chickens and and um, grow food, you can live that way. You can live little house on the prairie style, but it's not going to be the kind of life that you imagine. Um, if, if, the, if, if society around you falls apart, I mean, it might be a nice life in society. Like, it might be nice to do that. Maybe you enjoy it, and it might be nice, and, and you're relatively self-sufficient, and you know where your food comes from, and blah, blah, blah. And then you can go, um, you know, you can go to town to get the latest iPhone or upgrade your internet devices or whatever. Um, oh, hold on for a second. Sal just, uh, <laughs> Sal's actually on his way now. Um, so may maybe, but I, I you know, I don't think it's it it doesn't 
it's not a it doesn't protect you from the collapse of society. If society collapses, it will still suck. You're not going to have a dentist, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, you're not going to get basic medicine. Um, you're not gonna you're not gonna have phones. You're not gonna have uh, a lot of stuff. Um, so I, I don't uh, I don't see that as a viable slew when people are like, oh, I'm going to go off in the woods and be on my own. It's like, that's cool. If you want that, I get that. I, I have a hermit streak in myself as well. And I understand that, but I don't see that as uh, solving the problem that you think it's solving. I think if if there's an apocalypse, you're it's not going to be fun. Um, someone says, right, and growing, oh, Vibrant Goose says, right, and growing food is a skill. Years of experience to grow one potato. Yeah, farming isn't easy. Uh, I think people assume that farming is silly and easy. It's not. I eat a lot of meat. I'd have to learn how to raise cattle and slaughter cattle. And even just butchering pieces of like Sometimes I, I do some of our own carving up of they'll buy chunks of Even that's not easy. I don't have a bone saw. Uh, I guess you would need a manual bone saw if you couldn't rely on electricity. Right? And then you can say, well, I'm going to have solar. Okay. What happens when it dies or breaks or whatever? You're screwed. Um, Solar's not super easy. So, you know, these these are some of the thoughts I have. Uh, but we could, let's bug Sal when he comes in. He's on his way. He just he just texted me and he said he's on his way. So he he apologizes. Um, so if you got questions, I'm gonna look through chat for just a second. Are there any or anything, Beverly? Is there anything I missed that I should like any uh, comments, thoughts, or concerns that I missed? Uh, Zero Fox says, there's a scary thing about Ethereum. I like it as a platform as far as its capabilities, but don't like it for reasons why it forked into Ethereum Classic. I actually have been looking at AVAX. I like AVAX, uh, just if we're going to get into crypto for a moment. Um, you could do, it's got much, uh, but 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 it's also got problems, right? It's obviously, it, you know, pseudo distributed, but not as distributed as something like Bitcoin. Um, so, you know, who knows? Let's see. Yeah, okay. I'm just wanting to make sure. It... Minda uh, Vanderleest says, government doesn't care about drugs, but oh boy, do they care about money. Don't like anyone figuring out a way to bypass control markets. Yeah, and I think we're seeing that with crypto. Rip Biden just had, oh, maybe this is related while we're reading on Sal. Um, I think I have this over here, but I might not. Sorry, I got to go through my old man printouts over here. You're going to have to bear with me. But I think I have... I think I have a printout of this. President Biden... This is from last week. President Biden to sign executive order on ensuring responsible <laughs> responsible development of digital assets. How's the government going to ensure it's responsible? The government's the most irresponsible entity ever. So yeah, they are they've cracked down on on crypto quite a bit and they're planning to crack down crack down crap down. <laughs> they're planning to crack down on crypto more. Um and he this he's talking about central bank digital currencies. Now this is all the promises of crypto and decentralization and the freedom that crypto offered, uh, central bank digital currencies are 
the mirror image of that. They are um, the upside down in Stranger Things. Like it's the, it, they're the evil twin. Um, they are, instead of what can technology do to enable us to get out from under the yoke of government and to have some autonomy and anonymity and decentralization, uh, central bank digital currencies are, how can the government control you more deeply and every aspect of your life so that when you go to buy a stick of gum at the store, uh, they can just revoke your access immediately because currency is actually controlled in the cloud by them and it can be micromanaged and they can, uh, you know, they can control you more. So this, this is the government's plan. I mean, he doesn't say that explicitly because he's not quite that dumb, although he's close. Um, the executive order calls for measures to, I'm just going to read the bullet points, protect U.S. consumers, investors, and businesses. They always word it like this. We're protecting you by directing the Department of Treasury and other agency partners to assess and develop policy recommendations to address the implications of the growing digital asset sector and changes in financial. So, like, we're going to protect you by figuring out what are the rules we should apply by gun point. Um, the ordering... Uh, also encourages regulators to ensure sufficient oversight and safeguard against any systemic financial risks posed by digital assets. They, by the way, whoever just wrote this in chat earlier, they freak the hell out um, when they're not in control of money. And maybe we'll do a show about this at some point. And maybe Sal will talk about this a little bit when he gets his setup going. He just got, I guess, got home or whatever. He's setting his stuff up. Money controls everything like access to money like so much of our culture has actually been affected by money and you don't see it you don't understand it um but which arts get funded what like which which research grants get issued which what regulatory um bodies can do what like who gets the money first when it's printed like all this stuff, who gets the money first, what's printed, that trickles all the way down to startup businesses because um, venture funds, like the, the public markets and what they want drive what venture funds have to deliver, what venture funds want drive what angel investors have to deliver. So, and what, so that, what angel investors want drive what startups get funded. Like it, it all trickles down. Um, a, there's a lot of culture, like, the cultural impact of federal control of the money supply is one of the, probably the most ignored story of how we are tax cattle and how we are managed uh, by the federal government. And they they will they will come after you uh, if you if you threaten to fuck with that. They hate crypto. All right, second bullet point: protect U.S. and global financial stability and mitigate systemic risk. By encouraging the Financial Stability Oversight Council to identify and mitigate economy-wide financial risks posed by digital assets. Oh, no. The risk is they don't get taxes. That's their risk. There's a bunch more bullet points, but Sal just showed up. So we're going to just pull them on screen. Hey, man. What's up? Can you hear me? 50 lashes. with You You owe me a Bitcoin now. Just Dude, one. Holy. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. Man. I got, <laughs> I'll be right. honest with you. That happens every now and then, but it hasn't happened in a while. And I really feel like okay. about it. No, no, no. It's cool. So what we did was debunk all of the agorism while you were gone. So uh, <laughs> why don't we 
Yeah, it's all good. So, by the way, let me introduce Sally Mayweather, a.k.a. Sal the Agorist. What you run, um, well, there's SalTheAgorist.com, but you also have, uh, what's the libertarian, the new libertarian? Um, you've got a podcast, uh, the Agora podcast. What else? What am I missing? Uh, so we have the new libertarian blog, the Agora podcast, Agora threads, 3D printer go burr, um, anti-politics, the book, uh, and then uh, a few meme pages. I've got print guns, not money on Facebook, uh, Sally Agorist on Twitter, and there's a couple more on Snapchat and stuff like that. So cool. All right. Um, everyone thought you were carted away with Trotsky to your gulag. <laughs> Close. <laughs> I thought perhaps, perhaps the feds just finally got him, and uh, we're gonna. I'm hear not going alive. I, I, that's the one thing. I might die, but I'll never wind up in jail. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I read. I read some key points in this this counter economics uh, pamphlet, but why don't you explain to people in your own words? What the hell is agorism? What does it have to do with counter-economics? And, uh, and how, are, how are those two related? Right, right. So agorism is like a, it's a philosophy to achieve a, a strategy to achieve a free society within our lifetime. And what the way we see it is you need a consistent approach when you're doing anything. That's true of the natural sciences. It's true of the social sciences. And if you start with the non-aggression principle and you follow that out to its logical conclusion, um, you wind up with agorism inevitably. So in other words, um, if every libertarian lived true to the principles they preach, they would all be agorists. Um, so that means that uh, we don't, we believe in, in nonviolent uh, civil disobedience, but in an entrepreneurial sense. So basically the long and short of it is, is that we utilize the black and gray markets in order to subvert or undermine the state's rules and, and just the state apparatus in general. Some good examples real quick would be like Bitcoin undermines the Federal Reserve, 3D printing undermines gun laws, um, tokenized securities and assets undermines like FINRA and the SEC. And there's really a million examples. Um, the, the best example probably ever ever done was, was, was probably Ross Ulbricht in the Silk Road, who really, he actually read Janiel Shulman's book alongside Knight, which is sort of the science fiction take on an agorist society and he put it into practice um so yes yeah, well so we discussed him though he ended up in jail for a life he did he did and so that's a common thing i get it's like well what about ross he wound up in jail are you gonna all you agorists are gonna go end up in prison forever no the idea is that we utilize operational security right so what makes us different than sovereign citizens right? if you think about it, the sovereign citizens and the agorists are really the only two factions of the liberty community who believe in in sort of defiance like the central theme of their approach is defiance but the sovereign I, don't know what, I don't know what sovereign citizens mean like i don't know what that means can you oh, okay so like the sovereign citizens are, are great they're the, they're actually the real heroes these are the people who um they ride around with no license plates or registration or, or no license or anything whatsoever and when they get pulled over they just have a shootout with the cops and die um or the cops <laughs> Yeah, there's plenty of videos like that on YouTube where you can watch this. And I say, you know, they're not wrong. I, I, I think that they're right for, for, for what they're doing. But I'd like to live a, a longer life than that. I don't want to, like, die on the side of, like, the, the highway over, mm -hmm. like, a traffic ticket. So in order to combat that, we use operational security. So we use tools mainly provided to us by crypto anarchists, things like 
cryptography, encrypted communications, secure computing, stuff like that to conceal and protect our identities. A, a great example would be 3dprintergobird.com, where we allow cryptocurrency payments in order to facilitate non-KYC payments. So in other words, you can buy a 3D printer. As far as I know, it's the only place you can buy a 3D printer without having to access a KYC payment platform like Visa or a bank or PayPal or something like that. And that's just one aspect. Um, you know, there's a whole bunch of other ones. Agoras have been doing this for a long time. Like, I don't know how old your viewers are or what sort of socioeconomic class they're in, but if they're from one of the lower rungs of society like myself, they might remember like back in the day when, uh, of course, I didn't do this, but if you ever like bought drugs back in the day, when back when we all had pagers and beepers, there would be like codes, right? So like you would send your dealer a code and they, he would know based on that code what you want and, and stuff like that. And he would respond back with a code telling you, and it would be all in code form, but you wouldn't be able to read it and decipher it. And you wouldn't know where to be and when and how much it was going to cost. So these are all just like tools that we use to sort of protect us. Ross's OPSEC sort of slipped a little bit, and that's what got him in trouble. See, Bitcoin isn't anonymous, as you well know. Bitcoin is pseudonymous, and that makes, that makes a, a huge difference. But at the time, blockchain analytics was like in its sort of infantile form. So we were able to, to stretch the ball a little bit further, but Ross sort of just stretched it a little, a little too far. Oh, so he, was he caught through blockchain analytics? They just traced, they just traced it? You know, I'm not sure, to be honest. I remember reading the whole story, but I, I remember that um, they got him in like the, the San Francisco Public Library. And the whole the whole idea was they needed to catch him with his computer open because once he closed it, they wouldn't be able to, uh, you know, open up all of, like his accounts and stuff like that. So they like had they pretended there was a fight in the mall next to him and he was distracted. And then some like person just jumped on his laptop and another person jumped on top of him. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah, all for by the way, building a website, right? Um, right. Yeah, he he got a more strict sentence than Slobodan Milosevic or El Chapo. Um, there are Nazis at Nuremberg. Karl Dönitz, the last leader of Nazi Germany, received ten years in prison, and Ross Ulbricht received double life plus forty for building a website. Keep in mind, I know I don't want to get off topic, but keep in mind he was making the drug market safer, right? Because now, rather than going down to the corner and buying dope. Uh, you know, in a very dangerous environment. Now you can look at the seller's ratings and reviews and you could say, hey, this guy's got 400 five-star reviews on his dope. So I know I'm not going to, the chances of me overdosing are slim to none. So he really sort of made a, a, he took the violence that the state put into the market. He took it out. And for that, he was punished. Yeah. It really, I think the, the truth of it is that he was punished for using Bitcoin as a medium of exchange and showing the world that it wasn't just sort of some sort of token internet novelty that it had a real world use case as peer-to-peer -peer cash. That's what really sort of ticked them off. And that's another side note real quick. The, the judge who, who sentenced him to that uh, ridiculous sentence, Catherine B. Forrest, is now working at a swanky New York law firm called Kravith. You guys can hit up on Twitter at C-A-R-A-V-I-T-H and let them know what you think about them. <laughs> um, all right. So I guess... Um... I guess a question that I would have then. So does that mean you're differentiating like a sovereign citizen from an agorist? So you would get, you would have a driver's license and license plate. Uh, you know, look, I believe in that you should be as non-compliant as possible. So like if you can come up and of course I don't recommend any of this, this is all hypothetical, of course, but like 
rather than driving around with no license, I would suggest maybe it would be better to drive around in a hypothetical world with a fake license, right? If maybe if you could pay off someone at the DMV, uh, something like that, that would be a more ideal scenario. Um, I know someone who actually got one of the uh, ID making machines. This is years ago. I don't know if they still do it like this, but like years ago when we were kids, one of our friends actually, they knew someone at the DMV and actually brought home the ID printing machine so he could just spit out licenses like at his house. So yeah, and you can go on the dark web, by the way, and of course I don't recommend this again, and you can find people doing this who have those machines at their house and you can buy one right now. But I assume that now, I mean, just not to get into the logistics here too much, but I assume that now uh, if I hand the, a cop my driver's license, he walks back to his patrol car and there's a database. It. There's a date. I mean, I live in California. There's a database and like my plastic can be perfect, but if it's not in the database. Uh, yeah. I, oh, I agree with you. Yeah. It's, I, you know, every state, like we in Florida, we have this whole, um, I don't know where my license is. It's like we have this real ID thing where it's yeah, like, we do too in California. Orwellian hooked up to like yep. some national system. So, yeah, I don't know how much of that you can get away with nowadays, but the whole idea is to find black market solutions rather than to be openly defiant because that's going to get you caught and in prison and go to jail and to maintain strict OPSEC, right? So I have, I have an episode coming out um, at the Agora any day now. It's actually up on Odyssey. I just started an Odyssey channel, but I don't think it has any views. But um, it's all about, like, I sit down with the guys from the Crypto Vigilante. We talk about um, Monero and, and, and R and how to use these these tools and and what really secure encrypted communications looks like. We're not talking about Telegram, like real, the stuff that the, that the hackers are using, some really sort of deep um, OPSEC stuff. So if you're interested in that, definitely check that episode out. So let me, uh, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put the normie hat on because I am a yeah. bit of a normie, right? I, I'm a dad with a family and I don't wanna go to jail and I don't wanna like, me neither. I'm not about to like, no, you know, I, 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 when, when you say, well, okay, well do what you can. It's like, okay, well I'll pay my landscaper under the table. Sure. <laughs> like I can do that. Right. That's, um, well, that, that, that's not bad. That's more than, than half of these sheep are doing. Now, look, not to interrupt you, but like everybody's risk tolerance is different. So if you're a 17 year old and like you can get away with murder and get charged like as a child, your risk tolerance is much greater than someone who has kids and like maybe they have like a mortgage and all sorts of responsibilities and obligations. That person is, is, will have a much lower risk tolerance. And it's up to all of us to sort of properly gauge how much risk we can and are willing to take on in defense of liberty. Okay, so let me ask you this. And let's how would you recommend, let's say you've got someone, uh, they got 2.5 children and a mortgage. And a wife or husband or whatever. I got a spouse. Um, what are the low-hanging fruit ways that they can minimize their because I assume one of the goals here is to minimize your tax contribution, right? It's to minimize, it's like stop feeding the beast, I assume, is one of these one of the goals here, right? No doubt. What are some what are some low-hanging fruit ways that you would say, well, do, start doing these things? These are some these are some things, and you know, if you want to slowly increase from there, you can. Yeah, so there are um, whole books that Agoras have written on minimizing your tax burden that I, I, I don't even, I can't think of the names on me right now. But um, one thing that I always recommend to people, and I think it's, it's a really, actually, it's a very easy way to get started, 
is to become your own bank, right? And this is a very low risk agorist activity, by the way. You're not going to wind up in prison, at least not right away, not now. Um, but become your own bank. Remove yourself from the sort of stop using fiat currency because number one, once you do that, you're no longer paying the worst tax of all, which is the inflation tax. Inflation mm -hmm. is, is the worst tax because it's hidden. And this is what bankers mainly use to murder children in parts of the world that we can't pronounce. So become your own bank. Um, and if you really want to get into it, use privacy coins because at, once you, and I, it's, it's not as easy to use privacy coins as it sounds because retail adoption has been extremely stifled by regulators. But uh, any dollar removed from the fiat system is a step in the right direction. If you can hide that money, I don't want to say hide to get in trouble, but if you can keep it away from the eyes of like prying federal agents and you could do that using Monero or Pirate Chain, that's a great way to do it. You're, you're not going to be able to spend your Monero or your Pirate Chain very easily. But if you're trying to park a large amount of money somewhere and you can't get to the Cayman Islands right away, and I don't even know if that works anymore, by the way. Like, I don't know if you can go to those foreign bank accounts, but you can always, anybody can have a, a Monero account. Anyone can have a, a pirate chain wallet. So that's a great way to sort of conceal your assets. Another great way to conceal like large amounts of money is to convert it into precious metals, right? That's, that's, that's another great way to sort of conceal your assets in a way that sort of works. So let me, all right, I'm going to, again, I'm going to play some devil's advocate stuff. And and so yeah. let's say, so obviously you can't unbank yourself if you've got a mortgage, like, and you probably get a paycheck by direct deposit. So you're going to have a bank account. I mean, unless you're, I want to get into entrepreneurship in a minute because, but you're probably going to have a bank account. You're going to get paid direct deposit. You're going to have bills that you're going to have to pay from that account. Yeah. So it sounds like what you're talking about is savings, um, which, which is good, but. Um, my immediate flag goes off with, and I say, okay, well, Bitcoin's done really well. There's no, there is no expectation that Bitcoin will continue to grow at the rate that it has. It could, it could, um, but it's also very difficult in crypto to diversify and mitigate risk because when Bitcoin goes up, Ethereum goes up. When Bitcoin goes down, Ethereum goes down. All the shit coins follow, right? Um, that's just kind of how it works, right? Um, and so I look at this. I say, okay, well, if I if I've got a hundred thousand dollars in savings, um, pretty conservatively, you can invest in index funds on Wall Street and way out. Perform. You don't have to worry about inflation. You can do pretty well, um, and it you more than compensate for inflation, and you don't have this weird crypto risk. And you have accessibility to it. So, are we? Are you losing upside? Like, how do you how do you invest in crypto without giving up the upside that you would have if you were just staying in the normie world? So, a few things. I think number one, um, look at the look what's going on with inflation. I think that the people who stay in fiat are actually the ones who are losing, right? I mean, one Bitcoin is worth like thirty nine thousand of these Federal Reserve notes. But that, at the end of the day, that's not actually what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about savings or, or using crypto the way that you're describing. I actually think that's, that's the wrong way to use crypto. I, I think that if you hold a large amount of crypto, eventually you are going to get burnt. It's happened to me plenty of times. Learn from my mistakes. Um, but uh, 
the, what I'm talking about is I'm talking about using it the way Satoshi meant for it to be used. Use it in a disintermediative fashion, right? What Satoshi created was not an investment. He didn't create like a get rich quick scheme, right? That's 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 horseshit. That's that's a bunch of maximalist bullshit. Um, I'm talking about using peer to peer cash, right? Think about the value from an agorist perspective. No longer, like before, if you wanted to buy something that the state didn't want you to buy anything, um, and you used uh, and look. Let me let me put it like this: If, if you were um, if you try to if you try to facilitate a transaction between two parties who are not face to face, you need a third party to verify that that you've sent the funds and that I've received them. Um, in crypto, we get a, we we do away with that third party and we we replace it with a decentralized network of of miners. Um, sorry, I think I lost you on my headphones. Can you hear me? I hear you. Can you okay. hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. I did lose you on my headphones. Let me let me just try to reconnect. Sure. Um, sorry, somebody tried calling me. But so I'm talking about using it in a in a as peer to peer cash, right? So like, if you want to facilitate a transaction between two people, you were in Seattle, one was in New York. You need a third party to do that, and of course, they're going to collect a small fee for that service. In crypto, we don't use a third party. We use a decentralized network of miners to sort of make an end run around that. So that's what makes it sort of uncensorable. So now, like, that's how Ross used it at the Silk Road, right? So, so before, whereas, like, Visa or PayPal would have to report that transaction to the feds, now there is nobody to report that transaction. There's no one that the feds can query and say, hey, what was Sal Mayweather buying last week? There's no one they can do that with. Right. So I'm talking about becoming your own bank and just sort of using it that way. Um, Use now, transaction to... fees for Bitcoin, though, have been like, I remember recently they were super high. I don't know why, but Wait, I think like the... a, like a year ago they skyrocketed. Yeah. So Bitcoin BTC is no longer peer to peer cash for the for the reasons that you're describing. Um, I use Bitcoin cash because I think it's it's the most efficient medium of exchange that man has ever invented. Uh, if you think about it, we Bitcoin Cash, the transaction fees are almost zero and they're almost instantaneous, right? The, the confirmation time is almost instant. So that means that it sort of works just like cash would. And the other good thing about Bitcoin Cash that um, sort of Monero and Pirate Chain, some of these more privacy coins um, don't have, what we have that they don't, is retail adoption, right? Because regulators have their eyes on these privacy coins, um, exchanges, uh, merchants, people have a hard time accepting them. That's not true with Bitcoin Cash. In fact, Bitcoin Cash is one of the most widely accepted cryptos available. That's why I use it. It's actually my my primary medium of exchange. Any dollars I get go into my crypto wallet and uh, it becomes Bitcoin Cash. And that's where I, I have like a BitPay card where if I need to like you know, do normie spending, I can do that. But all of my businesses accept crypto. We take in a large volume of crypto transactions. So a good deal of that is, is um, it's coming in in crypto and it's going out in crypto, which is nice. It's nice to, to have a clean. The nicest part of it is, is that I don't have to uh, I have a clean conscience. I, I see that the children being murdered in Yemen. And I know that I'm doing as much possible, as much as I possibly can to minimize my contribution to that. Right. Right. Okay. So 
All right. So, so with Bitcoin, you're an advocate of like, you know, uh, Bitcoin cash and stuff like that. Um, and I guess you could vector through Monero if you wanted to add some privacy and to get your, to get yourself that. But yeah. how do you, what's your, um, when you have a dollar, how do you get it into Bitcoin cash? I mean, if you use something like Coinbase, you're kind of, it's like, here I am feds track me here. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's super KYC on Coinbase. And a lot of those exchanges are just ugh, Binance is another one. A lot of them. Well, they're all like that, really. Um, well, they were. I think they're most of them were. They were. They were coerced into doing that. Um, yeah, it was. Right? It was never like that. Like that was. This was like a recent like thing. It was only like three, four years ago yeah. that started. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, so there's a few ways around that. Number one, you you can always you can use a coin mixer if you're using something like Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash. You can just mix your coins up and then send them to a different wallet. Uh, that sort of obfuscates uh, the transaction. But another way to do that, a better way to do this, is to use a peer-to-peer -peer exchange like localcryptos.com, uh, localcoinswap.com, where it's they connect to you. It's just like two people. One, some Joe Schmo wants to sell one Bitcoin Cash, and you're looking to buy one Bitcoin Cash. The two of you link up on that site. There's an escrow system involved. If you're going to use this, I really recommend sticking to that escrow system because there's a lot of scammers out there. As long as you stick to the escrow, you'll be fine. But some people are like, oh, just send it to me now and trust me, I'll send you the crypto. And then they all obviously they always get burnt like that. Yep. So don't do that. Um, but yeah, yeah. So use like local coin swap or local cryptos. Okay. So and so when you say and then when you say like a mass precious metals, you're really talking that's where you're talking about savings and hold just holding it on. Um, exactly. And that's, exactly. And that's where you're maybe losing an upside uh, until inflation goes crazy. Which, right. Well, that's the whole thing. It's like, how much of an upside are you losing? Because it lets, you know, if you put, you know, if you put your money in, in cash or, or in, in some capital market, and then that, that market, you know, 10% of the value gets inflated away. Uh, and let's say your gold holdings have only lost 9%. You're still better off in precious metals than you were in inflated Federal Reserve notes. Of course, it depends on what those rates of appreciation and inflation are. But based on history, that's that's the that's the way it seems like it's continuing to go. Well, I mean, as someone who's invested in both gold and uh, and just kind of you know random stocks, I mean, the the issue with gold has been. There's been doomsdayers who have been, and you know, I would say I'm kind of among them. There's been doomsdayers who said like, "Hey, there's going to be hyperinflation. This is going to be crazy. We keep printing money. It's going to it's going to collapse eventually." And you know, you can take a bunch of money and and stick it in gold and make the argument you're making. But the truth is, my wife who just goes out and is like, "I like Tesla and buys Tesla stock," is like doing way better like 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 right people, like regular people just investing in spider index or whatever just doing way better she could take it out and buy way more gold than she could have at the beginning um so no doubt uh it, there's a timing question that i think freaks people out like someday that statement will be correct it you were better in gold <laughs> but i never well, know when that day is and it like insanity just keeps compounding and compounding and compounding and like no one seems to give a shit that we're printing money that's the whole thing about economics right it, economics tells us what's going to happen it doesn't tell us when it's going to happen otherwise we would all be rich investors 
Um, we do know from Austrian business cycle theory that they can't keep the charade up forever. Eventually, there, it, it's gonna, there's going to be a collapse. And when that collapse comes, the people holding gold will be vindicated. But you're right. Um, it's sort of like the same thing between being wrong and being really early on, on, a, on an investment or a trade. If you're really early, even if you're right, but you're really early, you're still going to lose money. And that, that's, that's exactly what we're talking about here. And that's completely true. Okay. I, I still think you're, I still think there's a there's a moral claim though, right? So like the people holding yes. dollars, you guys are murdering kids. You're paying for Nancy Pelosi's uh, her, her her like what was it four hundred percent salary increase over the last like few years. You're paying for Chuck Schumer's yacht. You're paying for the bombs that Obama used to drop on maternity wards or the neonatal unit of a maternity ward of a, of a charity hospital. You're paying for that. People holding gold and crypto aren't. So even if I even if I go broke, I'd rather do that than to than to contribute to the murder of children. Like it's very distant to, to people who use crypto or use like dollars. They don't they don't think to themselves, oh yes, I'm I'm paying for the murder of some child in Yemen. But that's really what's happening. And if you understand that, there's really no other solution but to minimize your exposure to fiat. You can't do away with it entirely. Of course, it's absurd. You have to live and you have to interact in the, in the economy, but you should minimize that. Okay. So as a, so it, you, you look at this more as a principle of minimize it. You're going to have some, you're not going to be blamed for having some, but just do minimize your tax burden. And, and, and a huge piece of that is to minimize your exposure to fiat currency. Okay. Um, I, there's probably more we could go into, but I want to, I want to, change subjects a little bit. So we, um, before you came on, I, I went over Silk Road a little bit with people and and said like, hey, this is, this is what happened to Ross. This is one of the things that I've concerned about. And and one of the things that I, uh, I, I said was, I think the feds, you know, in, in order to have a high standard of living or anywhere near where we are today, um, you, what you need is marketplaces. Like you can't, you can't I, I can't the the example that I gave, which is maybe a crappy one, but like I can't be like, well, I want a particular kind of apple. So I'm going to go out on my own and find who has that apple and offer them something for the apple and trade or, you know, buy the apple from someone. I want a store that has all the different things and there's a marketplace and like they have suppliers and, you know, and store has customers. And and marketplaces are what enable our standard of living. We, there's no way we could have the standard of living we we have today if we didn't have, frankly, access to global marketplace. I mean that that's that's what we've got. Um, and it seems to me that the Fed's target, specifically, the marketplace. So when it was, so when you said you thought Ross was targeted for using Bitcoin, I my take was different. I, I thought Ross was targeted for being the guy who created the marketplace that they don't have access to. Like they care about the money, they care about a marketplace, they need to have themselves inserted. And this is a marketplace. I think they would have gone after him if it wasn't illegal drugs, but it was produce as it doesn't matter if it was produce outside of their control, i.e. through Bitcoin, he'd have been in trouble. Yeah, I agree 100%. Okay. It, it was, it was okay. the, it was, it was, the, it was, it was, here's the whole thing. In order to have a, um, a money, in order for a commodity to be used as money, it has to have a non-monetary use case. And in, back in the day, we didn't have one for Bitcoin. It was just like, it was sort of like Dogecoin that you just send a million to your friend and a million to this friend. And it was just sort of fun, right? And um, when Ross came along, he proved that that wasn't the case. He's like, hey guys, 
look what I can do with this peer-to-peer cash. Look what we can look how we can actually use this. And that is what really pissed these people off. Like it was the whole like challenging the state. Um, that's what really uh, pissed them off. It was the whole idea of like, oh my God, we actually have a real competitive currency to the to the Federal Reserve monopoly. How do we stamp this out? We better like punish the hell out of this guy so nobody else gets this idea. Of course, it doesn't work. It just makes a mockery out of the justice system. Right. So I, it, it it made me start thinking, do we have now the technology to rebuild the Silk Road without a leader? And I think maybe we do. I think with DAOs, I want to get your thoughts on on uh, decentralized autonomous organizations because it, I, it seems like we're maybe at the point where if someone wanted to you could build a uh, you could build a DAO with uh, that was managed by people who had governance tokens, and that could be anonymous. And that DAO could run a marketplace. And I'm not sure there's anyone to go after at that point. Yeah, there's not, and we have them. They're out there. Um, oh, they there's are. a lot of them. I don't yeah. spend a lot of time on the dark web, so I guess I'm looking in the wrong spot. I don't know. Uh, well, some of them aren't even on the dark web. Some of them are like um, on like. Uh, uh, like like a blockchain like platform, um, there's different like I'm trying to like there's one one cryptocurrency called Apollo that's sort of like supposed to be it's still being developed but it's like this all in one blockchain and they actually have a decentralized marketplace built into it. But there's other examples out there as well. Um, damn, I can't think of it. There's one called like Particle, Particle or something. I'll get you the name afterwards. But like okay. we have them, they're out there, and and people can transact in a sort of peer to peer fashion without the feds knowing about this shit and even those crypto exchanges i was i was telling you about um local coin swap local cryptos you don't have to buy and sell cryptocurrencies you can buy and sell a couch or a gun or anything um you know they're a little bit more centralized they have like a registered domain owner so they can get in trouble and stuff like that but yeah we have these decentralized marketplaces and they're out there huh I guess I should. I've been looking. In the, I haven't been looking actually. So maybe I'm. I won't say I'm looking in the wrong spot. I just haven't been looking. Well, the other thing too. Um, uh, the other interesting part of the, about that is like the DAOs. The whole idea of these decentralized autonomous organizations. So I don't know if I told you this story, but the very first DAO ever. I was one of the original investors um, in Ethereum when Vitalik announced it in Miami, and it was like huge we were all into it and there was all of a sudden there was like this like flurry of like projects on eth using smart contracts it was like wild it was like so crazy everybody was getting everybody was getting rich and going broke and getting rich and going broke but we had this the very first doubt ever oh man i remember it was like yesterday it was so bad i took i was so excited i took all of my money and just poured it into the dow and i was sure it was going to blow up and we woke up one thing was like a saturday if i remember correctly in 2016 and like my wallet was at like zero I'm like what the <laughs> hell is going on here and i guess like some hacker in europe had found uh, uh an, an erroneous line of code that he was able to exploit and he was aware that most people who were invested in this were probably in america so he waited till we were all asleep and just started draining our funds. By the time we woke up, we were all broke. And the, and actually, Vitalik rolled the chain back uh, to accommodate for that, which is why I tell people that Ethereum Classic is the real Ethereum, because that's the one that has the true ledger on, ledger on it, not, not Ethereum. Ethereum is the rolled back version. Um, so we've come a long way since then. 
there's a lot more auditing that goes on now, um, hopefully. And some of my friends, actually, I was at the, I was in Miami at a conference recently, and some of my friends uh, in the the law division here, uh, one of them, one of these guys is like a professor of law at NYU, and there's a bunch of people at these conferences, and they were all telling me how they think they this year will be the year that we can expect some sort of regulation from the government in terms of DAOs, right? Whether that be yeah. like, like how the tokens are used, if it's a, you know, and all these groups are to get around this, you're saying, this isn't a security token, it's a utility token, right? But it's, it's the same shit. Right. And the regulators are, are not going to, no, they're not going to care. Yeah, I was just, uh, right before you came on, I was reading this, uh, briefing room fact sheet about President Biden's executive order on ensuring responsible development of digital assets, which is like, oh, crap, <sighs> right? Um, I do have a friend who's deep into DeFi, and he claims that everyone's moving to Portugal, that Portugal is the place to be. Um, they're they're the only country that's kind of leaving them, leaving them alone. Um, that's kind of a first world nation. Uh, There's a so lot of crypto people over there, yeah. There's definitely yeah. a lot of crypto people over there. Um, you know, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure how concerned I am about all of this. To be honest with you, I, 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 I've always felt, even from the very, very early days in crypto, I always thought that this was part of it. Like I expected this. This was part of my long-term vision from day one. Of course, they're not going to give up the monopoly on currency easily. <laughs> right. Who who thought that they who would do that? If you had a monopoly on printing money, are you going to give that up easily? Of course not. You're going to do anything you possibly can. You're going to shame them. You're going to make up stories. You're going to lie. You're going to murder. You're going to steal. That's exactly what we're seeing now. It's sort of like a fish out of water gasping for air. But eventually that fish is going to die. And really, this is what the Federal Reserve is going through right now, just sort of convulsions of, of a dying bank. Okay. So um, I want to I want to switch topics a little bit uh, because I think one thing that I I like so as you're describing uh, agor agorism is it agorism or agorism potato potato I say agorism because that's the the root of the word is agora from the Greek agora okay well as you're describing agorism I mean it's especially when it when it's this there's this recognition that uh, hey everyone has this different risk profile and like i'm not expecting you to not get a driver's license and to like never have any bank account or whatever like there's stuff you got to do you get a you got a family and whatever um i i one of the things i like i'm 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 warming up to it um i heard you talk about what was wrong with ancaps uh recently and i had always described myself as an ancap although i've stopped i haven't used that term in a while and the, a lot of the things you said i was like well that's not, i don't I, that's not ANCAP, or at least it's not me. Maybe it's ANCAP. I don't know. Um, so I'm getting, I'm warming up to agorism generally because I like the, the end goal is the same. It's a voluntary society and the, the mechanism seems to be interesting. Uh, I am concerned. I mean, I, I laid out some of the concerns with like people like Ross going to jail and like how much you can actually get away with this and we need marketplaces and all that stuff. But one of the things I really like about it is it encourages entrepreneurship. And um, I've been an entrepreneur for my almost not quite my entire career, but almost my entire uh, my entire career. And uh, and I've I've I think I don't know if people know this about me, but like I've 
run business incubators. I've 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 probably advised. I mean, hundreds of hundreds of startups uh, uh, and and sat on boards and done all this stuff. And I really like early stage startups and I really like entrepreneurs. Um, and and my wife is also an entrepreneur and we view it almost as a curse because um, it's it's the kind of thing where like we look at each other sometimes and you're like, you know, we could both make way more money if we just went to Google and worked for Google. Like this is ridiculous, um, but we can't we can't bring ourselves to not run businesses. And like, it's just what we do. Um, and, uh, and I, there's something I, and I, and even though the economic thing doesn't make sense, like maybe I should go to work for Google, not that they would take me anymore. Um, still with our kids, we're like, well, me, you know, teaching them some entrepreneurship stuff. And my, my daughter, when she was 10, had her first quote, you know, quote company that she did with her friends and had a cap table and like you know, like managed it and, you know, good. But my, my, my point is I, what I love about entrepreneurship is it is the, I think entrepreneurship is to economics in some sense or in, in, into, to money or to economics, what being a farmer is to eating and like, <clears throat> go, like, or going to the store, like people go to the store and just buy packaged chicken. Right. And they're like, I don't want to know what happens. Okay, fine. But actually what happens is very difficult. It's like, it's not easy to maybe raise chickens and do this and slaughter them. But like, there's a whole process that, that needs to be done in order for you to eat. Someone has to do that process. And I view entrepreneurship as the economic version of that, where if you get a job, someone just says, meet this metric, you get paid. It's the entrepreneur who's got to be like, I need to make sure that people want this. It's viable. We can run the business. We can meet all like there's there's a bazillion moving parts. It's great for generalists who just like to dive in and get into things. And I think it's ultimately good for being a self-sufficient human being to know that I can go out into the world with nothing. And there are other human beings out in the world. And I can figure out a way to provide value to those human beings so that they will voluntarily give me their hard-earned value back. Um, and I, I think being able to solve that problem is really, really good for self-esteem, uh, self-sufficiency and confidence. And it's, it's super not easy. Um, so I, I guess, I, I guess this is just like a soliloquy to entrepreneurship, <laughs> but, uh, but, but my understanding is agorism is very focused on entrepreneurship, not only for, you know, economic self-sufficiency, but also, can you talk about the impact you can have as an entrepreneur in being an agorist? Yeah. So there is a, a really, really long um, tradition in Austrian economics that sort of the, the entrepreneur is sort of the, the, the centerpiece of, of Austrian economics. Um, this is going back to, to Mises and, um, you know, uh, Israel Kirzner, uh Per Byland, Peter Klein, all professors of entrepreneurship who specialize in Austrian economics. And what these guys tell us is that in a, in a free market, it's the entrepreneur who allocates resources, right? So if, you, if your goal is to allocate resources away from the government, you need to be an agorist to do that. So really, the, the one definition I always give people, because it's so simple, and they really can grasp it very easily, is that agorism is is just a, 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 a unique form of entrepreneurship where we seek not only profits, 
but also disruption. That's really all agorism is, right? We just we, we want profits, of course, but we also want to disrupt the, the government. And uh, we and obviously we do that through entrepreneurship. And yet, like like I said, that's how you allocate resource, resources in a market economy. So it's necessary. But one of the keys here is, and I get a lot of pushback from the ANCAPs here, is that wage work is wage slavery. And they don't understand this because if you have a portion of your earnings automatically deducted from you, automatically taken from you before you get it, and somebody else keeps it, that's called slavery. In the antebellum South, they took 95%. Maybe you got shelter and you know some bread and water, but they kept the overwhelming majority. Now, the slave masters in, in Washington, D.C., maybe they let you keep 50, 60%, or 40, maybe sometimes it's less, depending on how much you earn. So it's, it's just a matter of degree. You're still a slave, though. It's, it's just a matter of degree. With the entrepreneur, that's not the case. With the entrepreneur, you get all of your money, and then it's up to you to pay taxes how you see fit. So going back to the minimization of tax, of your tax burden, a great way to do that is to be an entrepreneur. And not only that, but you have the, uh, the, the ability to have a sort of a multiplier effect because now you can not only minimize your own tax burden, but also that of your employees. I think I'll, the only thing I'll push back on wage slave is I think when most people say wage slave, or at least a lot of people, a lot of normies say wage slave, they imply that the it's the boss who's the, the master. Um, and you're using wage slave to say, well, it's the federal government that's the master, and which is which is true, 100% true. Um, well, but wage slave is thrown around to vilify entrepreneurs, actually. Yeah, so there is actually... Um... There's, there's, there's a lot of, and I'll get hell for this, but there's a lot of similarities between Marxism and agorism, okay, in the <laughs> sense that um, we both believe that there's this sort of binary class division, right? We believe that the working class is, in fact, being exploited, but the Marxists got it. They, they, they identified the, the plot of the play correctly. They just miscast the characters. Where, so the, the worker is being exploited, but they're not being exploited by the entrepreneur, um, they're being exploited by politicians, by the political class. They're being plundered by the political class. Um, and we know this from uh, the work of Eugene Bon Bombay work, who uh, pointed out that the entrepreneur, uh, not only does the entrepreneur not exploit the worker, in fact, they save them. Because if you think about it, in a worker-owned collective, in some sort of collectively owned uh, venture, some sort of business venture, all of the workers would have to stop eating, stop going out to the bar at night, save up their money, each of them, and put and pull it together for the capital goods and resources necessary to get this venture off the ground. Whereas the entrepreneur has already done that. He, he's bore, he bears that burden for them. So the entrepreneur actually plays a heroic role in regard to the worker, whereas Marx thought we exploited them. It's, it's the exact opposite. Right. And as someone in chat points out, Workers are exploited by Marxists. Yeah, I think that what ends up happening is they <laughs> elevate the politicians, and like, the, but those are the exploiters, right? Um, and, and those are the Marxists, right? <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I see why people push back on that, but it's a. I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't have described it exactly that way. But I, I don't have a problem with your description. I think it makes it sense. I, the more that I. Um, the more that I start talking about and have been talking about 
just voluntarism and like uh, people being in, like individualism philosophically and people being free to do their own thing. And the more we start talking about application of philosophy to politics, the more it becomes this discussion of oppressors versus oppressed, which I know is this horrible critical theory idea. I know it's kind of, it, it's, it sounds very bad. And I'm not saying judge people based on, you know, they're not good because they're, you think that they're this, or you, you can't just make labels, but um, there is a real issue here, which is why I think populism is, is on the rise, which, and, and, and it, you're seeing people on the right and left, regular people being united on the right and left, precisely because we're starting to wake up to this idea that, hey, all of these people with a monopoly on the use of force sitting in Washington, D.C. are exploiting us. They're all fucking us over. Maybe they're saying different things while they do it, and they, they call us different names, or they say, whisper different sweet nothings into our ears. But at the end of the day, we're all getting fucked by the same class of people who have a, a, a monopoly on the use of force, believe it is their um, their right because through voting that, that, that gives them the, the authority to tell us how to run our lives and to regulate us and to and to to manage us like we're tax cattle. See, you're more optimistic than I am. I don't think that the average Republican or Democrat uh, realizes that yet. I think that the Democrats think that their enemy is like the rich and Republicans, and the Republicans think that their enemy is the Democrats. And and as long as <clears throat> as long as they maintain that illusion, the state is going to stay in power. The worst thing for them is that we realize that there actually is that binary class division, the, the plundered versus the plunderers. Once people do realize that, then they're then they're in for they're they're in for for a lot of trouble. Yeah. So so you don't. I I, I agree that that I I think that left right narrative, the Republican Democrat narrative, is actually. Uh, I, I'm not gonna like put my tinfoil hat on and say it was a conspiracy that was intentionally foisted upon us some time ago but it is a an awfully convenient distraction that allows the uniparty to stay in control where we think we can it's like there's two farmers fighting to be our our in charge of the tax farm and and all the tax cattle get to vote for which farmer and they make speeches and they and you know they they tell you we're going to take care of you better and we care about your freedom to chew on grass over here and we care about your freedom to drink from the water bin over there but not chew on grass over here and whatever it is and like and we vote and we think we've got control and none no one is having the conversation of why the fuck are we on a farm yeah look in the old days marauding gangs would fight for control over some geographical territory and periodically another gang would come in and wipe them out and then it would change hands again and so on and so forth. And eventually they just got together and said, look, let's just create some sort of power sharing agreement, right? Instead of like fighting all the time, let's create some sort of power sharing agreement. And now we're at the stage 2020 years later where the, the, the main power sharing agreement is every four years, you know, maybe you get a shot, maybe we get a shot, but we'll leave it up to the masses to decide this way. They don't get too upset with us, but it's still, like you said, we're still like, like monkeys in a zoo. And I think agorists are the only ones out there who are saying, hey, guys, we need to get back to the Congo. Right? Let's get the hell out of here. Let's get back to the jungle. I don't care who the zookeeper is. I want to get back to the jungle. Yeah. Yeah. But I think a lot of people are scared of the jungle in that analogy, right? They're, they're scared. Oh, absolutely. Wow. Uh, yeah. Look, with freedom comes personal responsibility. 
and that scares the hell out of some of these indoctrinated people. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I guess, is there, is there anything else that we're kind of missing on agorism and or agorism in terms of, um, what regular people can start doing to, I just want to, the reason for this discussion, just so you know why I'm, I decided to start exploring this, we had a lot of people in our community start saying, hey, talk about building kind of, just like there's an alternate tech conversations, like talk about alternate communities. Can we start, there's been a lot of talk about like, how do we get together and like do something outside of the system in some way so we can hang out with other people who care about liberty and stop being subject to, to, to the, to all these stupid laws and like how can we how can we insulate ourselves in some way and I, I thought a discussion with you is a good way to kick stuff off because it's it's about economics which is one of the most important factors there which is like okay how do we how do we you know, get along do, do you have to have for this to work well do you envision like we have to have communities of people who physically are, are located near each other and get to know each other um, is that is that really the only way in a surveillance state that this can kind of grow? Not at all. In fact, we agorists generally oppose that. So we so we oh, call okay. that we yeah we call that anarcho Zionism. Uh, okay. So things like 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 seasteading, um, private cities, the free state project, uh, things like that would sort of fall into this category. We're opposed to all of that because it doesn't make much sense to um, you know sort of consolidate all libertarians in one geographic area just to make it easier for the state to murder all of us. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. Um, you know, the, the problem with these strategies, at the end of the day, we can boil it down to this. They all rely on the moral restraint of politicians to not genocide you. And we know from history that politicians have no moral restraints, right? They murdered 700,000 people in the Civil War. Um, so they, they don't care about, you know, the state of New Hampshire seceding or not. They'll kill everybody in New Hampshire just to make a point. And they would kill more if they had to. So, no, I don't believe that, like, forming alternative cities and states and communities, that's not a viable solution. The only solution, I get a lot of people get upset about this, but the only solution, the only solution is counter-economics. You're not going to vote your way out of it. You're not going to run for governor as a third-party candidate. You're not going to run as paleo for mayor. Your, your, your local office isn't going to change this. Um, none of that shit is going to work. We've been trying it for years. The only way out of this, we know that it works, is agorism. Uh, no other philosophy, no other political philosophy has had uh, as much success. Konkin's been dead since 2004, so it's been, what, 18 years, something like that? It hasn't even been that long. So look at all we've accomplished since then. Uh, Airbnb and Uber, we've got the Bitcoin white paper, the three printed gun, we're tokenizing buildings, we're tokenizing Picassos at this point. We have decentralized exchanges and privacy coins and all sorts of stuff. Look at the amount of success that the Marxists have had. Marx has been dead for centuries. They've had zero success. Uh, you know, the same is true of all these different political philosophies. None of them have had an inkling of the success that we've had. And it's it's very young. Um, and one uh, one other quick way to look at that, like as, as to why agorism is the only solution, if you think about it, and this is an analogy that I like to use, you might have heard me use it before, but like, imagine like when Galileo was like, "Hey guys, I've got this new theory. It's a little bit more logically consistent than Ptolemy's 
version of the universe. But in my version of the universe, the Earth isn't the center of, of, of the galaxy or the, the center of the universe. Everyone's like, hey, Galileo, why are you so arrogant? Why do you think it can only be a heliocentric model? How come we can't have it both ways, right? How come how come we can't have voting and abortion? How come we can't have heliocentrism and geocentrism? It's like, no, there's only one logically consistent philosophy. And, and that's true of the natural sciences. It's true of the social sciences. It's true of everything. And in, in the, the realm of, of politics and, and economics, the one true philosophy is agorism. We found it, but it's brand new. So people don't know that we found it yet. It's our job to make sure that they know about it and that they're aware of it. I would agree with you philosophically that there is only one correct answer. Where I stumble, I think, is uh, that answer, the practicality of that answer relies on psychology, which is really not well. I don't understand, and, like, I'm afraid to predict exactly who will do what and whatever. So, like, I think there's I, – I get the logical consistency um, – from, and I even understand the the principles of uh, like I I get that, but uh, there are examples of states that have seceded, just not from the U.S. Like we've had, we have way more countries now than we ever did. Um, now sometimes Russia goes and invades one of them, um, right? Like sometimes, or the U.S. does. Like sometimes build governments, build governments though. So it's like so it's when you secede. True. You just you just turn over into another government, whereas counter economics eradicates the state's influence in that particular area of your life, right? So, like um, a great example, probably the only example of a successful counter economic re revolution um, was Gandhi, right? Gandhi uh, by um, using civil disobedience, he took everybody to the ocean. They all got their own salt. They broke the British salt monopoly in, in the Raj in India, and the British had to leave India. If they left it there, they would have been great. But instead, they started electing communists. And, you know, unfortunately, India was cursed with decades of poverty after that. They're, they're still trying to crawl their way out. of. They're still answering for, for yeah. those sins. Yeah, I mean, it's tough because I think the only ultimate solution involves a change in the culture. And so one thing I do like about agorism is it does help foster cultural change. People... People get used to the like, oh, I, like I don't need the state for this. I don't need the state for that. I don't need to do this. And like it does it does help foster cultural change, because I think we you can't actually have the free society that we imagine if if most of the people in that society want like don't like freedom. They don't want that responsibility. They don't like the liberty is not that important to them. They don't want responsibility. They want someone to be in control. If that's what most of society is like, they'll put someone in control um they'll make sure it happens yeah so like a few things there. i agree to it to an extent i think that um how large of a role culture plays i'm not sure but i do think that agorism encourages um a more uh stable culture and i think that a lot of culture libertarians get this wrong i think that um, we think that what's the, what's the common saying that culture is is politics is downstream from culture is what everybody tells you i think it's just that's the opposite the, that's the breitbart saying is, is politics right. is downstream from culture yeah i i think that culture i think it's, it's just the opposite right and the reason why is because um culture is by and large a product of federal reserve policy right they by setting the interest rate by by playing with the supply of money they sort of manipulate our time preferences so um 
you know, if you're if you're everybody's hooked on this de depreciating fiat currency, then they're more likely to be spendthrifts or, or they're more likely to spend their money quickly. Whereas if you use a sound money like crypto or gold that we were describing before, you're like, oh man, I don't want to spend this. I want to hold on to it because who knows what it's going to be worth tomorrow. So, so that sort of encourages um, less risky behavior and encourages savings for capital, which can be used to start businesses and engage entrepreneurship in the future. None of that happens in a, in a sort of, a, it's less likely to happen in a fiat uh, monetary system. Um, so it's, you're definitely more likely, more likely to have a better culture. As far as the extent to which that culture plays, I really think that at the end of the day, people are going to adopt these ideas, not by, we're not going to convince people to become like Rothbardian libertarians. That's absurd, right? That, that, this, is a, this is a sort of utopian fantasy that a lot of uh, LP types have. They think that we're going to convince everybody to be Ron Paul. It's just not like the perfect happen. argument. And then they're all going to be, yeah. Yeah, it's just not going to happen. So like what the way to do this is through economic incentive, right? More people have, have adopted cryptocurrency and Bitcoin because they think it's going to get them rich than it is than, than they have adopted because they, they read Rothbard, right? They didn't, they didn't read Mises' theory of money and credit. Mm -hmm. and like, oh, geez, I better buy Bitcoin. No, they're like, oh, man. My neighbor, that kid from the party last night, got rich. He was telling me how much money he made. I better buy some. So it's it's yeah. it's through economic incentive that people are going to adopt these measures. Same thing is true with 3D printing. My sales, I guess, I don't want to even know if I should say this, but my sales go up every time Joe Biden mentions gun control. So it's like it's, it's pe people have a self-interest at mind right and, and and that's what they're going to be that's what they're going to use to make these these decisions and to engage in the agora i think i i don't know if it was you that had i might have had this conversation with this part of this conversation with you already but i the the politics is downstream from culture when i first heard that i liked it um and then but i then i said well no culture well I, and i said okay well culture is actually downstream from philosophy which i do think is true, but um, and then and it might have been with you. Someone challenge. It might have been someone else. Someone kind of challenged that a little bit. And I said, "Okay, wait a minute. I I think really what's happening is there is a feedback loop that goes all the way back from politics, all the way back to philosophy and culture, both. Um, and I think one of the most obvious examples of that is um, and well, let me start by saying the reason that I say culture's downstream from philosophy is philosophy tells you your values. And like, then you, you like implement them culturally and then that affects who you vote for. And like in a very short time cycle, that makes sense. But you can also find examples of, okay, um, politics funded large amounts of really crappy philosophy at universities all across the country for decades and decades and decades. And the philosophy got worse and worse and worse. And it, and it, trickled yeah. into everything else bled out become part of became part of culture people got jobs at magazines and books and social media and, blah, and like it's this feedback like okay yeah but why was so much money why is why does the university of 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 texas at austin have a hundred people in their like their diversity whatever <laughs> inclusion department like why why are they paying that and the ultimate answer is there actually was politics behind this entire thing um, so I think there is a very valid argument to be made here that this is a feedback loop um, and anything that we can do to to break that feedback loop and maybe just changing people's behavior 
does start to break it because it's it's hard to be arguing against stuff that you're doing. Right. I agree with you. Um, I, I just play devil's advocate. I would I would say that even behind those politicians, there are bankers. But I I, I generally do agree. Oh, with that's you. that's true. That, yeah, I, we left out banking, but yes. I, yeah. I I think I think I think that um, you're right. I think you're you're right to point out the crucial role played by the educational system, because in in, in influencing our culture, and there's no shortage of examples to be seen from this. Look at how they've turned Abraham Lincoln into a saint, right? A man who, who massacred almost a million of his own people. He was the most hated politician of his time, and they've turned him into a saint. And that was only possible through a monopoly of the public school system, just like a lot of this social justice warrior bullshit is only possible through, um, you know, the public schooling system, like you're saying. Um, right. But even behind those moves, at some point, there was like an economic purpose that we can find. Um, you know, Rothbard, Rothbard tells us when we look at these, these, these historical events, always look for the individual motivations. And man, there's always, it's always a dollar behind it. Isn't it funny? Yeah, that, that is a really good point. And I think, you know, we could go on for another two hours, so I, I won't, but like we could go for a while talking about the, the effect that money and i don't remember if i said this before you joined today or not but I, I i definitely said it today this the effect of giving or or of having a monopolistic control on currency insane it trickles down to everything it literally affects every single thing um yeah people just don't understand that so. there's entire um I don't know if anybody out there is like a student of history, you, you'll probably be aware that there's different like paradigms that people use that they can see historical events through. So like if you're like, um, if you're into geo, there's a lot of people who are into geopolitics. Everything that happens in the world is like, comes out of like the geopolitical arena for them, right? Like they all, there's always a geopolitical response. Um, at the end of the day, I think, well, I guess I should back up. There's a lot of people who, who see their historical paradigm is inflation. Um, and you can actually explain a lot of historical events by looking at like the money supply. A good example of this, and I'm not a fan of this, guys. I don't believe in his book. I don't believe in any of it. But in the book, the Bitcoin Standard, Sekadine Amos actually does a, a decent job going through the monetary history and showing how inflation um, has sort of created the rise and fall of societies, and then. Societies were built up on sound money and they collapse on, on inflationary paper notes. And that's, yep. that's a, a really, that's a driving force in history that can explain so much, so many civilizations. And I think that um, maybe in 500 years, they're going to be looking back at our time saying, hey, obviously this was going to happen. They were inflating away their currency. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, truth, Rome, someone in chat writes the Weimar Republic. That's also true. I and mean, we see, we see it. We see it a lot. Um, Even in like African societies, like almost goes through like, uh, you know, island societies and like all sorts of them. And it's, it's really interesting how, how that is the case. Yeah. Well, look, uh, thanks, Sal, for, for this chat. It's a great, uh, great conversation. It's always fun to talk to you. I'm going to have you back to get in more, more in depth on some stuff. Uh, maybe we'll have some crypto conversations. There's just a lot. There's a lot going on, and I I do I do have um, I have a lot of respect for agorism, and and uh, I'm starting to really like get like okay, 
this this seems to be directionally correct. Maybe I don't understand all of it, and I haven't read all the Agorist stuff, but this seems to be directionally correct. And um, and look, I, I think a lot of us at the end of the day know that the utopia that everyone's hoping for is not going to happen anytime soon. Like we're not going to suddenly be like, hey, this borderland. The, here's a spot where we're it's all voluntarism. Like that's that's not going to happen, but we can move there and we can make our lives individually more and more voluntary and more and more outside of the main system. And maybe, you know, who knows? Well, look, we Close can't we're not going to be able to create this um, right, voluntary global community. It's not going to happen. It, it, it's right. just a utopian fantasy. It, it's not going to happen. But you can create that change in your life right now, today. That's Yep. To me, that's the most beautiful thing about agorism is that the debate is over. There's no more politicking. There's no more canvassing neighborhoods, working phone banks. As soon as you accept agorism, you're free. That's it. You're that's it. You are you 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 are at that point. You have re reclaimed your liberty. That's the whole thing about liberty. It's not. It doesn't belong to the president. The president can't give you your freedom back. The congressman, the senator, the Supreme Court. Your freedom is yours and yours alone, and only you can claim it. And and ultimately, that that is agorism. That that's if you do that, you wind up at agorism, and that that's the whole uh, key to me. It's all the, the instantaneous liberation is what I think is most attractive to people. Yeah, and it, it sound just it sounds much more psychologically healthy. It's a much yeah. more psychologically healthy way to live and be like, look, yeah, I'm surrounded by. Thugs and creeps. Yeah, right. Uh, I can <laughs> yeah. live my life <laughs> right. with with liberty as as much as I can, and that's what my as focus much as possible. And one more point, yeah. just to, I know you want to wrap up. One more point, like think about all the different realms of counter economics, right? Three D printing, cryptocurrency, tokens, growing your own food. We didn't get a chance to talk about that. Um, so many different things. Uh, anything really can be counter-economic if it's done in a, in a way that's sort of disruptive towards the state. So there's so many uh, areas that are available for entrepreneurship and so many ways that people can get involved and, and engage in this, this philosophy that it's sort of, it, it's inevitable that we win. I don't know if everybody's going to look back and say, oh, the agorists won, but I think in maybe in a thousand years or 500 years, they're going to say, yeah, look, the agorists won. Yeah. Yeah, and and look, we we did have a conversation about growing your own food beforehand, and I said, look, I don't want to grow my own food. I'm a horrible gardener, but I do like the idea of a local farmer who, yeah, sure, I'll give you Bitcoin Cash for some stuff, and let's just done. Right. Not only that, but look at the supply chain shortages that we're having. It's a good time to have some farmers and ranchers who are good friends of yours. So when yeah. I first came to Florida, I started immediately. I went, I'm looking for farmers and ranchers. I, I met a bunch of people. And uh, the grocery store is out of meat. I still have meat, right? Um, yep. There's an orange grove about 20 minutes away from me. It has the most delicious orange juice in the world. Um, I'm not getting the pesticide shit from the store. And I know it's going to be there. I know where to go if, like, the, if the shelves are empty. I know where that guy's address is. I know where the orange trees are. Right, so I can go yep. there. I have silver if the money goes bad. So it, it's it's securing your your own food supply is another key aspect of making yourself resilient against the state. But that's a topic for yeah. another day. No, it is, but it's it's good and uh, 
mean, there's a lot to cover here, but like I said, what I really there's like so about much. it is the I, I like that individual sovereignty aspect that like look, you're you're taking charge of your own life and um and you don't it's not like you're saying, well, I'll only be happy and 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 free after all this stuff that's never gonna happen happens. It's like, well, right. It's never gonna happen. So that, that's the and that's what Kurt Violence says, right? He he's got this great article that I included in my book where he he says, you know, I've only got seventy to eighty years on this planet, and that's with a whole lot of luck. He's like, do I want to spend that limited time trying to convince everybody that they're slaves? Like, if you can't see your chains by now, I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do for you. If you don't realize that you're a slave, I can't help you. And this is what Thoreau says in, in um, Essay on Civil Disobedience, right? He basically says the same thing. It's like, I'm, a, I'm, I'm not here to sort of like negotiate with people. I'm, I'm here as a man in this world to live free now, today, not to wait and do it in the future. So like, yeah, and stop stop the voting, stop the politicking and, and just live free live free now. And, and the way to do that is through agorism. If you guys want to learn more, check out Sam Conkin's book, uh, New Libertarian Manifesto, The Agorist Primer. I've got a book called Anti-Politics. There's a, a plethora of material. There's a great book called Alongside Night by Jane Neal Shulman. They turned it into a terrible movie starring Kevin Sorbo um, that you can watch for free online. If you're not doing anything tonight after this, watch it. It's free online. It, it's actually pretty entertaining, but it'll give you a good idea of what an Agorist society looks like and what the Agorist revolution entails. Um. Yeah, tell, uh, thank you for that. Tell people how they can find you online, what, how they can support stuff you're doing. Yeah, so um, I'm on all your different social media platforms, like Sally Yours or just at Sally Mayweather. I'm not hard to find. Uh, Twitter, Snap, Insta. My Facebook page is Print Guns Not Money. That's grown pretty big. Um, other than that, that's really it. Other than that, check out SallyGorris.com for updates on my podcasts and blog. You can check out AgoraThreads.com for libertarian and anarchist apparel and 3dprintergobur.com for 3D printers and 3D printing supplies. Of course, you can pay with cryptocurrency to avoid having to access those KYC payment platforms. I'm going to have you back to talk about 3D printing guns at some point. because uh, we got to do it because I, I'm late. I was late today, so we, I, I got to make up for this. Yeah. No, no, it's cool, and uh, and and that's a separate topic, even because, um, yeah, I I really like, I don't know how that gets stopped, which I love. Like, I don't know how yeah, it you, doesn't. It doesn't. How, how do you police that? I I don't think you do. So, and wait until you hear the like the advances that we've made just in the last like six weeks. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. Oh, wow. Okay. Absolutely. All right. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm I'm super excited to have that conversation. So yeah. We'll have you definitely. So. Um, thanks everyone for watching. Thank you for, uh, not forgetting to subscribe and share the content. Uh, don't forget to go to unsafespace.com to support the show. You can support with Bitcoin and Ethereum, although maybe we should add Bitcoin cash because, uh, transaction fees are high for both of those blockchains, the Bitcoin and, and Ethereum. Insane. Um, yeah, this show will be back next Wednesday with some more, uh, solo application of philosophy stuff. Um, tomorrow, I think we're going to have a great reset uh, show with uh, Comics Division. Friday, there'll be a genetically modified version of the Token Minority Report, which we're going to try and experiment with. And Beverly's going to be uh, the one on screen. And then Monday, I'll be back with Narrative Dissonance. We have reporters from Breitbart and Post Millennial uh, joining on Monday. So I will see you then. Uh, until then, take care, everyone. Sal, thank you again. Thank you.
Thanks for sticking around until the end. If you're new to Unsafe Space, check out our deep content library that includes discussions with everyone from James Lindsay to Brett Weinstein. And please consider helping to fund our work by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on a variety of social media platforms, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space Discord server, which is open to financial supporters at any level. We hope to see you there. Warning, this is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production may be Russian propaganda. The following individuals are suspected of questioning one or more official narratives. Experts agree that there is an epidemic of sexually uninformed five-year-olds, and Florida is the cause. Here's an idea, why not stop complaining, and buy a Tesla? I'm sorry, there is no record of a COVID pandemic. You must be mistaken. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, scientific, and scientifically are registered trademarks of the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.